Welcome to Mind Love, episode 193. Today's episode is all about nature deficit disorder. I just saw study after study showing people in hordes going outside and recognizing, almost, you know, kind of like waking up to like awareness of nature deficit disorder. So basically what that is, is that lack of connection to nature and how that affects us. And for so many people that can be invisible and it's when we get outside and spend time in nature that we realize, like you said, like we're missing it on such a deep level. And this doesn't mean necessarily like getting out and being able to identify every bird you see by song or, you know, being able to like communicate with a plant. It can be as simple as lying on a lawn, staring up at the clouds and watching those clouds change shape, letting your mind wander, feeling the breeze. I dare someone to try that and not feel some level of contentment and healing in that very simple step. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, my love. If you have not yet subscribed, please hit that cute little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts are a really great way to give back if you find this show helpful. They help the show climb the charts, which helps more people find it and helps me get even better guests for you. Today, I am sharing a review from Fiery, who says, this is one of my go-to podcasts. Mind Love is definitely one of the top favorite go-to podcasts for a variety of reasons. And here are just a few. Melissa has a great voice. It's soothing and welcoming. She always does a great introduction to her podcast, which is really relatable. And then the bell sounds and off you go. The podcast starts and for the next hour or so, some of the most interesting topics and guests appear. Melissa asks great questions. The information is easy to follow and I always leave feeling inspired. Trust me, you will really enjoy Mind Love. Well, thank you so much for such a thoughtful and thorough review. I so appreciate it. And like you said, now off we go. We are living in the age of technology. They say technology has advanced more in the last 20 years than it did in the thousand years before that, or something like that. Just thinking about what my iPhone can do blows my mind. But with every new advancement, it's just as important to be aware of the potential downsides. For example, the Industrial Revolution totally transformed the economy. But at what expense to the environment, to waste, to our health? Western medicine has saved lives from fatal diseases, but it's destroyed countless more with addiction, overprescription, or just covering up the symptoms and never actually getting to the root cause. And yeah, my iPhone is arguably the eighth wonder of the world. But the more things it can do, the more time I spend on it, and the less time I spend actually immersed in the world around me, using my body and engaging with other people one-on-one. Most of us live in developed areas, which means less nature. We have access to high-quality food, but rarely are we involved in gathering it ourselves unless a grocery cart's involved. And even that's happening less with online ordering and next day delivery. So I wonder, as we advance, what are we losing? Last August, my husband and I decided to leave our apartment in Santa Monica, a little beach town of around 92,000 people in the heart of a county of 10 million people. And we moved to the mountains, to a town of 3,000 people. It was a big switch up, but with everything going on in the world, I was just craving nature. I have more going on right now than I have like ever in my life. My business, a new baby, a new move, making new friends, other miscellaneous goals. But just being here is peaceful. If I feel stressed, I just go on a walk and within minutes, I'm sitting under a pine tree or on a dock with my feet in the lake. It's glorious. Recent studies have shown that just walking in nature lowers your risk of depression. Another study showed that when people spend more time in green spaces, they have less stress-related illnesses, less anxiety, and even fewer panic attacks. But one thing that really jumps out of me when I'm living among nature is the kind of people who live among nature with me. They just talk about it differently. It's like there's a different respect level. They feel blessed by Mother Nature and want to give back. Like, for example, when I hear climbers speak, they'll talk about things like whether the mountain wants them there that day. Or surfers will talk about the ocean personified, 
as though it's a living, breathing being. And isn't it? Isn't all of nature? When did we become so disconnected from it that we no longer saw ourselves as part of nature's ecosystem? Maybe that's why disease is so prevalent, because we've lost our connectedness to all things. We've stopped being one with nature, and in doing so, we stopped receiving all of its healing powers. So how do we get that back? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And we're not just talking about our connection with nature. We're talking about how to have a relationship with it. And our guest is Rosalie de la Fure. She's a registered herbalist who is super passionate about inspiring people to turn to the healing gifts of medicinal plants and nature connection. She's the author of the best-selling book, Alchemy of Herbs, Transforming Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies that Heal. And she's the co-author of Wild Remedies, How to Forage Healing Foods and Craft Your Own Herbal Medicine. So three key things we will learn are how to shift your awareness to reconnect with the natural world, how to turn local plants into healing medicines, and what you need for your very own home apothecary. And now let's welcome Rosalie De La Ferre to the show. I'm so happy to be here, Melissa. Thanks for having me. So how did you first become interested in natural health and medicinal plants? Well, it's something that has long interested me. Like I was totally that nerdy teenager who cared about this stuff. I think I was the only teenager I knew that cared about (laughs) natural health. And I did really nerdy things. Like I remember checking out vitamins for dummies from the local library. And I made flashcards to like memorize, like, what does vitamin A do? (laughs) And I remember getting really excited when I got my driver's license because I mean, I could drive myself to the health food store. So total nerd about all of this for a long time. But for a long time, it was just kind of a hobby. Like I was just interested in it and I'd kind of read, you know, about stuff like natural health. And this just in context is like late 90s. And I used supplements, mainly supplements, not herbs so much, but used kind of that stuff in food for kind of boo-boos and that sort of thing. And then in my early 20s, I was attending a wilderness school and I came down with these crazy set of symptoms which were later diagnosed as a rare autoimmune disease. And that was a very pivotal moment in my life. I went through, I you know, spent time in the hospital, had a team of specialists. And once it took them a while to even figure out what I had, but once they told me what I had, they said, this is just really rare and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's terminal. You can expect to live until 40. And they gave me a brochure And they said, we can give you steroids, but they will not work forever. And you can expect a declining quality of life. Good luck. Which, you know, when you're 22, it's kind of hard to hear all of that. But it was also a blessing because immediately I was like, okay, Western medicine has nothing for me. And I did spend a couple of days just completely like, you know, in the depths of despair. But pretty quickly, I just bounced out of it. And I just said, okay, what can I do? And I went to the local library again and started, you know, just looking for anything about autoimmune disease. And I just got the books I could find about autoimmune disease. And I lived in Seattle at the time, which I was just out of college. I had no money. I just went to all these student clinics. I went to see, you know, like the um, Bastier Student Clinic for acupuncture and for naturopaths. And so I kind of amassed this like team of people to help me out. And I was really amazed that when I went to see these practitioners, they weren't really concerned about the name of the disease. They were more interested in who I was and my whole life. You know, they weren't just like, okay, you have this disease. I don't have the herb or the supplement for the disease. Goodbye. They were like, okay, let's take a step back and just look at everything. And so I started working with all these people. And six months after the diagnosis, I didn't have symptoms anymore. And I just turned 40 last year. So things that definitely turned around and And that was just, it was a huge paradigm shift for me, Melissa, because before then, even though I was interested in alternative health or natural health, I just thought it was for like boo-boos, you know, like, oh, I have a sunburn, aloe will help my sunburn or whatever the small minor thing might be. But to have this supposedly terminal, incurable disease completely addressed with what, you know, many people in Western medicine would call quackery was a pretty big paradigm shift for me. And it just put me on this whole different path and... And with that, I knew I wanted to help other people because I was like, I can't be the only one being told there's no solutions for you when there actually is great solutions for a lot of people out there. It blows my mind how often we're just told, oh, well, this is the solution and it's to be on some medication that has major downsides for like the rest of our lives. 
when mm-hmm. I was healing from my eating disorder, bulimia basically because of the damage I had done to my stomach from engaging in that behavior multiple times a day for over 10 years, I had destroyed my stomach lining. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was told that I was going to have intestinal issues my whole life. And they gave me Nexium. And it was one of those things where I, I got on the Nexium and I did actually start noticing that it, I wasn't feeling quite as badly as I had been in the last few days, uh, a couple days after I was taking it. And then the next morning I woke up and there was an article in the paper about how Nexium was actually, they're finding correlations with Alzheimer's. And I was like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be on this. And it was funny because even in that moment, when I got on that, I was already very uh, hesitant to take Western medicine because I saw my dad go through his cancer journey and he died of cancer. It didn't help. It made the last part of his life terrible. He wasn't even sure he wanted to do the chemo. And then after that, I was learning all of these natural remedies and I have multiple friends that have healed themselves from cancer, which sounds unrealistic, but when you do what I do, you do end up having multiple (laughs) friends that healed themselves (laughs) from cancer with food. And so I was already a little bit hesitant, but I remember right after I took that, I was like, okay, maybe I got to stop demonizing Western medicine. And then I saw that article and I'm like, this is just the universe's sign to make me come back to my roots, literally the roots of the earth. And so <laughs> it's interesting though, because as the pharmaceutical industry gets bigger and bigger, so does the health and wellness industry. And so you'd think that we'd be sort of balancing out our health, but instead it seems like society is unhealthier than we've ever been. Why do you think this disconnect is happening? Wow, that's a very good question. Big question. It's a really good one. The first thing that just pops into my mind is that how we are increasingly busy I mean, with technology in our lives. Like technology is supposed to make things easier, but I find this in my own life. What it does is it makes me do more, you know, because I can get someone, I mean, just think about my life now compared to my life in the nineties. Like if I wanted to write somebody, you know, I'd take out a pen and paper and like write out a note now. And I'd write one person right now um, with my newsletter every week, I write 40,000 people, you know, just typing up the words really quickly. And then I get to put beautiful, photos on it. And just, I mean, it's just this totally different world, but because of technology, making everything easier, doing more and more and more, I think there does become a time where it's just like, there's, our lives are so full. And so just one thing to the next over and over and over again, it can be hard to create space for healing. That's one thing that comes to mind. The other thing with Western medicine, I do see more doctors and especially as functional medicine is rising you know, having a more holistic mindset, but the insurance companies I think are ruining so much because even if a doctor wants to spend time with a patient to talk about more holistic lifestyle, they often just don't have the time, right? It's kind of like, you should eat well and exercise. Bye, got to have the next patient now. So that's, you know, that's very difficult too. And then in terms of, you know, like the health and wellness industry is growing. I think it's growing in some really beautiful ways. It's also growing in, this kind of profitable fads that I think are detrimental to us and to the environment. I see it in the world of herbalism where, you know, the herb du jour comes up and all of a sudden there's this one herb that's just so incredible. And it comes from, you know, like, like maca from the high plains of Peru and costs a lot of money. And then like the sourcing, it becomes unethical. And it's not like kind of the mindset there is that we're going to like find that one miracle cure like maca or something else or whatever it is. And that one miracle cure is going to make the difference in our lives. Like that's often sold to us. And something that I remind my students over and over again, it is in natural health. It's not the one thing we do. It's the thousand things we do. And I don't mean that in an overwhelming way, but just in that it's rarely that like miracle cure that we're looking for. If something makes us feel 20% better, that's amazing. That's awesome. What we want to do is find something that also makes us 10% better or 30% better and keep adding those small things up so we're feeling great. But we can't sleep four hours a night and then take an herb the next day and expect to feel great. You know, we can't have a super stressful job that, you know, encroaches into our personal life and only eat Skittles all day long and then take an herb and expect to feel great. Like, so I think there's sometimes like there's those that search for the miracle cure, that one thing that's going to make a difference just sets people back because it does kind of take time to, again, take a step back, look at our whole lives, figure out what's out of, out of balance and, and then figure beautiful ways that we can invite things into our life to restore that balance. But while I'm harping on alternative medicine, I'll say another thing that definitely frustrates me is that also 
within that kind of like profitable fads of alternative medicine, I think what gets sold along with that is judgment and fear and shame. And in my mind, that does not have a place in health and wellness, but it is what's used as a marketing tactic to sell things, you know, and these, you know, telling people that they're wrong for the way they eat or everything is toxic and they need to be afraid of everything. You know, all the, those like undercurrent things that can happen in some sections of alternative health is just so icky to me. And that's why I really appreciate the mindfulness approach and being able to pay attention to how we feel our thoughts and joyfully pursue great health and not do it out of fear of toxicity or whatever is being sold to us that day. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, that's so true. I find myself even falling into that rabbit hole sometimes because when you're learning, you can't help but absorb this information. And so like one of mine, for example, I will not put something in the microwave. For some reason, like <laughs> I know it's not that big of a deal. I grew up on the microwave. And so cognitively, I know that, but it's like I've, I've demonized it so much in my head that my body reacts as though I'm going to take out like a hot cup of water and it's going to be like, witch's brew poison or something like that. <laughs> and it's funny because my friend posts about different nutritional things and she's always talking about removing the judgment from the food that we eat. And she's like, notice when you are feel apologetic, like if you eat a piece of bread, do you feel the need to add the disclaimer? I don't often eat bread, but when I do, <laughs> you know, and, and we do that with a lot of different things. But how do you think that should be Change because in some aspects there's a little bit of truth to it, but then I think we blow it up in our minds to be too big, and and it does create that shame, which often shame comes with even more health issues because we stress ourselves out and we mm -hmm. and we never really 
heal that relationship with food because then we're just afraid of it and limiting. So Mm -hmm. what do you think should be that approach? Well, you know, one thing that's helped me with this in particular is going to other countries. So my husband is French and my dad is a Mexican citizen. So I've spent time both in France and Mexico where there isn't shame attached to food. And that is a pretty, I mean, I know we all can't like just jet set over to another country, but it is a pretty amazing thing to be surrounded in a culture that is suddenly different from our own and doesn't have that judgment attached. Like in France, you don't really, and this might be changing, but when I've been there, you don't talk about foods as even being healthy or unhealthy, right? It's just like, it's food. And they have many traditional foods that I know a lot of, you know, health and wellness folks would kind of balk at, you know, like they eat plenty of bread and cream and heavy foods and they don't give a second thought to it, you know, and and they are often lauded as being this like wonderfully healthy culture. I think that's a stereotype, but, you know, it's just an interesting thing to think about. But I think the more like just even naming that and then being aware of it here, wherever we live is an important thing because those invisible cultural stories can wreak havoc. So I like how you said about recognizing like, oh, am I apologizing for this food? Where does that come from? Recognizing that other people do it, you know, around you. Like I noticed that now, you know, somebody says, like you said, like, oh, I'll have dessert tonight, but you know, I don't normally do this. Like just (laughs) taking note of it, I think is a powerful thing. Like that's so much a part of what mindfulness is, right? Just noticing it as a first step and then deciding if we want to be something different. And for me, I just know I'm so much happier when I just sit down to food that I get to enjoy without the fear, the shame, the judgment. And that overall, like the more I've stepped into that, the more it's felt so good and the easier it's been to shed this other stuff. And so now when I see people do that, that apologizing, I'm able to just recognize it, but like not take it on. Just be like, oh, I see where that person's at. I'm happy to enjoy this food that's in front of me. Yeah, I kind of went through the same journey. There's something called orthorexia where people are basically obsessive compulsive about the healthy food they eat. And I see that so often in Southern California. I'm not going to jump to conclusions and say that that's definitely their diagnosis, but I see (laughs) signs that they could be headed there. And for me, I mean, healing from something like bulimia was really difficult. And there's still times that the little bulimic demon comes up in the back of my head and I have to use all my mindfulness tools to kind of come back to a place. But one of the things that changed that so much that really, I really could feel the shift in my body was when I started to change my relationship with food, not change my diet about what I was allowed to eat and what wasn't, but that actually kind of came from developing a relationship with food because I started to see my food in terms of nutrients and its benefit and it became this symbiotic relationship. And I know one of the big things that you teach because you're into herbalism and and foraging wild foods, it's not just about going and picking what's going to make you better. It's about developing this relationship with nature. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. That's definitely the heart and soul of why I'm here, why I wake up every morning. And that's because I think, I mean, to be honest, when I first started getting, like even as a teenager, when I was into alternative health, it was a matter of choosing the natural choice over the pharmaceutical, which meant instead of going to Walgreens, I went to the Fred Meyer health food store. And instead of picking off, you know, like a pharmaceutical off the shelf, I picked a supplement off the shelf. But that experience was like not really all that different, right? Now my experience of healing and the beings that I rely on for health is me going out to my garden, is me going out to the forest, is me connecting with plants, is me getting to know plants and all the amazing gifts that they offer, not just as medicine, but in the whole entire ecosystem. And then this creates this very rich and vibrant life and brings me so much joy. Like As an example, the other day I was out in the garden and I watched the sparrow eat dandelion seed heads. And I just watched the sparrow sparrow do that for maybe five minutes. And it was just so beautiful. And I was interesting just to watch how the sparrow might do it. And it was, you know, balancing in order to do that. And it brought me so much joy. And that experience of being able to get to know that sparrow, of knowing dandelion plants so well, which I know many people think of as a weed, but is a very powerful healer. To be able to experience that and take part in that, that is a very different experience than going to Walgreens and picking something off the shelf. And for me, it really, that experience gets to encapsulate my whole healing process. And it it reminds me of 
one of the mindful eating practices that I used when I was changing my relationship with food was I was learning that it's not just about the food that you're eating. There's this whole preparation to it also. Like you will digest your food differently if you spend time cutting it up and cooking it and you're smelling it because all of your other senses that are involved are starting the digestion process versus just getting a delivery from Uber Eats, for example. And so it interests me so much to be able to have the ability to forage because first of all, with all the, (laughs) with all the, the fear in the world right now, I feel like just that, that ability to trust yourself, to be able to find food in nature, that in itself has a lot of power to it. And then also the relationship that you build with nature when you're in its woods, like finding what you want and and telling it what you need and having that be given to you. And then the preparation part must have even more benefits to it. Absolutely. You know, when I first started becoming an herbalist, I didn't know any plants that like I couldn't identify. I probably couldn't even identify dandelion. One of the first classes I took, the teacher showed me plantain, which is this incredibly ubiquitous weed that grows everywhere. I had no idea. It was that was my first time meeting plant uh, dandelion. Or, I'm sorry, plantain. So I went from this experience of not knowing any plants to now when I walk out my front door and I live. I'm very blessed to live in the edge of the wilderness so I can just walk out into the forest. I know all the plants there and I don't just know them by name. I know them by relationship and experience. So I can see like, oh, there's the elder shrub that I visit, you know, every year, multiple times. I gather the flowers and use them to help my skin. I gather the berries. I use them to support my immune system. But every plant out there, I I know at least by name, but often, you know, by the experience and relationship there. And it is incredibly empowering to know that. And during last year, you know, the early parts of the pandemic and as the spring was coming uh, to my area, so I have lots of snow in the wintertime. So the slow melt in the beginning of spring, it was my solace to go out there. And I know it was many people's solace. The interest in the natural world last year was just huge. So many more people visiting parks, spending time outside, noticing things like plants and birds. But for me, it was just so powerful to go out there, see my plant friends, not be barraged with news, see you know, see the birds continuing to sing with all the things going out there that uh, was so easy to, to fall into fear or worry about out there. It's like I could let that all go and just be surrounded in that beauty and joy and, and sense of empowerment. It is pretty amazing to, to go out there and, and know like I can make a salve with that that's going to help with you know, cuts and scrapes or, oh, I know that plant can help me with intense muscle pain or um, whatever the case may be. It's, it's very empowering. It's funny because I bought a Kickstarter a couple of years ago because it was all about growing your own microgreens. And I was living in an apartment in LA, so didn't even have a yard, let alone a garden. So it's like, I'll do a little indoor one. And it came and it, it made the smallest amount of microgreens ever, like to where maybe you could sprinkle them on a, a salad, but it was this huge plastic device. And I was like, <laughs> I feel like I just went against what I was actually trying to do. Now I'm like handling plastic to get, to get the plants. Mm-hmm. But then the idea of going out to forage, I noticed that one of my first thoughts was almost fear. Like, how do I know what I'm picking isn't going to be poisonous or there's not going to be downsides? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what is the percentage of actual poisonous plants out there? Why is my first instinct fear? And how is that affecting my connection with the natural world around me? And so it, it ended up being this whole like journaling exercise <laughs> of mm-hmm. wondering why I have, I didn't even know I had this fear of nature until I got to that question did you uh, find that you had that also, or is that, was that just an odd part of my growing up? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And I feel like that's such a common reaction, and I think it's a good one. It's good to have a bit of fear of the unknown, right? Because that fear teaches us to be cautious, and there are things out there to be cautious of, whether it is poisonous plants or rattlesnakes or ticks or just being safety in our roundings, like fear gives us that edge of caution. Of course, we just don't want fear to rule forever. And the more we get to know our relationship to the world, the more we get to know how to be safe outdoors, that fear can just shed and we can let it go. But I think it's it's a pretty good thing. You know, if, if somebody was like, 
I'm into foraging and I'm going to go taste every plant out there and just go run amok and, and experience everything, like they're going to get into trouble. That's not going to be a good situation. There are plants out there that can kill you or at least make you very, very ill. So in terms of like percentages, I don't know, you know what those are, but enough that we have to always be 100% certain of what we're identifying. And when, when I first started learning about plants, it was like there I'd walk out into the forest and there was just this green wall. Like, oh, that's a green plant. That's a green plant. That green plant has a flower. You know, maybe I could say like, oh, there's a green plant that grows as a vine and that's a tree. But it was all green to me. And it's really through getting to know a plant at a time that I think we can really shed a lot of that fear. We can choose a plant like dandelion. Dandelion is a completely safe plant. It grows everywhere almost, but grows very, you know, very commonly. It does have some lookalikes, so it's good to get to know, you know, what exactly is plantain? How can I tell it from other plants? And just to spend time with that plant over time, watch it through the seasons, get to know it. And then it's, you know, rinse and repeat <laughs> and find another plant, get to know that plant, watch it through the seasons. It really like once you get to know those plants, you wouldn't mistake them any more than you would like mistake Aunt Jane for a stranger, right? It's you know them, you have a relationship with them, you can recognize them really easily, but it can take just a little bit of time to get to know them. It's so much like getting to know people. You know, if you meet someone once at a work party and then you don't see them for three months, when you see them again, you might be like, yeah, I think we met, right? You look familiar, but it might take a couple times before you really like know that person. Same thing with plants. So you got to keep showing up, keep getting to know them. And like I said, the more you do that, the more confident you'll be. And then that confidence, I think, is what can really sprout out of the fear and the fear becomes much less. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day. And I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted, like this is how it's always been. Those types of days used to last months, and now they're pretty few and far between, and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That makes so much sense. I think so often when we're like, oh, I'm going to make a lifestyle change and then we get a book on it and it's just so overwhelming. We're like, I can never do this. But I look back at my life, especially in the last five years and every change has been one thing at a time. It's like first cleaning up one part of my relationship with food, then the next, and then getting rid of certain toxic things in the house, like maybe just the window cleaner. And then, you know, and so slowly but surely. And then after a couple of years, now I'm like, when people ask me, well, how do you just start to change all of this toxic stuff. I know we talked about that, but this the things in a, to more natural. And, and I'm like, it was a very gradual process. Like now everything in my house is a slightly different quality. And so to do the same thing with plants, it doesn't have to be this overwhelming thing where you're just in the forest and you need to know everything. I love that idea of just choosing one thing at a time because just building that one relationship at a time starts to evolve our relationship 
with nature. And I think that's one of the weird things that has happened over time where we think we're humans and then that's like the natural world out there. And we forget that we're a part of that, that we are nature, we're connected and we've always meant to be working together. And so it's funny that we have so much more trust in um, in man-made things than we do with the things that are naturally growing out there. Yes, that's so true. And it's an interesting thing because I, I think that even in my own life, like that takes a lot of reprogramming. The you know, even in our language, like it's so often that when we say nature, that does mean outside of us. And I catch myself all the time and even wonder, like, what is a better way to talk about that that's inclusive of all of us on this earth? So I mean it's really deeply ingrained. So I think that that is actually one of the most powerful things we can do is to reclaim our part in nature and reclaim, I guess, the good things about us being there. Because I think for some people, it's easy to look and see how humans have messed things up, right? And just see negative consequences of human on, you know, in nature. And that is certainly a story, you know, that is absolutely true. I'm not refuting that at all. But it's also, I think, incredibly important to reclaim our natural birthright to be a part of nature, working with nature, and then, like you said, even even hear me now with my words, recognizing that we are just we are nature too, and and rerooting ourselves within that truth, I think, is one of the most fundamental things we can do to make a change right now. Because so many of the problems that are, we're faced right now is because we are engaging in like a resource it's extraction model that doesn't understand that the health of all of us is important to our individual health. You can't separate those two things out. And that's something that I think the health, as we've been kind of saying, like sometimes that's missing from the health and wellness industry is that these herbs are sourced from overseas. We, The people who are harvesting and growing those plants aren't treated well. The soils aren't healthy. They're shipped across the world. And then they like end up in some fancy packaging in a health food store where we pay tons of money for it. The person getting the money is like often the last person involved, right? And and then it's sold as health and wellness. But how can that be health and wellness if it's spoiled everything, you know, along the way? So I think there's a lot of a lot of things we need to think about. And I love how herbalism can show that intersection and really think about what does it mean to have planetary health? What does it mean for all of us to be recognizing our role in nature and understanding that can be a reciprocal relationship, not just a resource extraction relationship. You actually talk about something called nature deficit disorder in your book. Mm -hmm. Explain that to people because I know I've I've felt that before, but I didn't Mm -hmm. really have a word for it. Yeah, I think last year and um, when the pandemic was going strong, I think that's what so many people realized was missing from their lives. And I mean, I just saw study after study showing people in hordes going outside and recognizing almost, you know, kind of like waking up to just to like awareness of nature deficit disorder. So basically what that is, is that lack of connection to nature and how that affects us. And for so many people that can be invisible and it's when we get outside and spend time in nature that we realize, like you said, like we're missing it on such a deep level. And this doesn't mean necessarily like getting out and being able to identify every bird you see by song or, you know, being able to like communicate with a plant. It can be as simple as lying on a lawn, staring up at the clouds and watching those clouds change shape, letting your mind wander, feeling the breeze. I mean, that I, I dare someone to try that and not feel some level of contentment and healing in that very simple step. So yeah, when we're surrounded by artificial lights, when we're inside and missing those external influences of things like birds and breezes and and even the incredible mysteries of insect life, there is a deficit that's happening there. And whether we recognize it or not, but I think once we get out there, we do realize oh yeah, this is really missing from my life. This is really important. Yeah, that is why we moved to the mountains in August of 2020. I was like, I cannot be here anymore. All the things that were addicting me to LA, and I say that very intentionally because I I thought it was going to be so hard to move from LA, and it was actually because... I was so used to being so overstimulated all the time. So when everything was shut down, I felt depressed for a number of reasons and I just knew intuitively I needed to go live in the mountains. But that wasn't 
an easy move because I was still addicted to all that stimulation. And over this last year, it's been slowly unwinding and I can feel Mm. myself just letting go so much more. Like my mind isn't wrapped up in like, oh my God, I heard a ding. Like, let me check my phone. I'm able to just leave it across the room and I want to go just sit outside and observe. And so I am so excited about your book because first of all, I have a, a little baby now and I feel like it's going to be so fun to be able to take him and like teach him how to have that connection with nature really early on. It's something that my husband got growing up that I didn't necessarily get. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, in order to start doing this, what are some of the things that we need, whether we need to keep in mind or tools that we need to start a, basically a home apothecary? If you want to start getting to know the plants that grow around you, then getting a local field guide is very important. And being able to consult that regularly and figure out the plants that go around you. Even better is if you can find someone local to you who does plant walks or something like that. So you can have a person like confirm or deny and and show you plants. There are in the United States, there's the Native Plant Society chapters that are pretty common. So you could look to see if there's a Native Plant Society chapter near you, look to see if there's a local herbalist near you. Whatever you can do to see if there's you know someone local to you who can show you the plants. Then of course we have awesome resources like YouTube. You can look up plants on YouTube and at least you know get a moving visual of what those plants might look like. So that's a good and again start small. You know you don't have to know every plant that grows out there. You know find a plant that calls to you. Get to know that plant and then do that again and again. In terms of a home apothecary, you don't necessarily have to forage plants in order to have your home apothecary. You can order plants uh, from others. I recommend you know looking for those high quality herbs, things that were grown organically and ensure a living wage for the people along the line who are growing and harvesting them. And um, not only is that as we've been talking about ensuring planetary health, but those herbs are going to be a lot more potent. And the thing about herbs is, you know, they aren't standardized. You can grow herbs in you know, bad conditions and have low quality herbs or in impeccable conditions and have super high quality herbs. So obviously if we're using them for our health and all, we want the best quality we can get. So, and another way that you can tell that is, especially over time using your senses, you know, how do these smell? How do they look? You know, we want them to smell vibrantly. We want them to look vibrant. If something is supposed to be aromatic, but by the time we get it, it's, you know, brown instead of green and doesn't have much of a smell to it. Yeah, it's probably time to let that go. You know, send that to the compost, get something better quality. So that's another step. I love about the home apothecary is that you can start so simply by just making teas. And teas are a foundational herbal remedy. They're one of my very favorite herbal remedies because they are so simple. You just need good quality water, good quality plants. You mix the two, voila. And that can, again, be starting with a plant that or an herb that you're just called to and just starting to get to know one plant at a time. One of my favorite plants to drink myself and to share about is chamomile. Chamomile is so common. I'm sure everyone's heard of chamomile. Super common plant, often found in people's cabinets with their tea bags. And if you go to any restaurant, you can probably get a chamomile tea. Chamomile is so amazing. For years, I kind of poo-pooed it because I was like, it's for like Peter Rabbit. And, you know, like it's just kind of this like this thing that you, it's, a, it's just a thing that you drink. I didn't realize how potent of medicine it can be. We could talk for the next hour about all the wonderful healing qualities of chamomile, but I'll just give a couple highlights. One is that it can be profoundly relaxing. If you take like a tea bag, like one tea bag and make a tea out of it, steep it for three minutes, it's going to taste good. If you have like five teaspoons in a cup of tea and you let that steep for 10, 15 minutes, it's not going to taste as good. I'll be honest, it'll be a little bit bitter, but it's going to be profoundly relaxing. Chamomile has been shown to be effective for people with generalized anxiety disorder. It's helpful for promoting sleep for people who have insomnia or just have a difficult time winding down at night. So very wonderfully relaxing. That bitter flavor that I just mentioned is really wonderful for digestion. The bitter flavor enhances our digestion, gets things moving, um, just kind of revs up our whole digestive system. It also modulates inflammation, and that has so many applications, whether that is for our digestive tract, which can become easily inflamed, can also be used on our skin to help with inflammation of the skin. So lots of wonderful ways to use it for that. It can be used as a hair wash. (laughs) I love to infuse it into oil for the skin. 
Uh, it's used for colds and flus. It can help support the fever process. Anyway, I could go on and on about chamomile, but that one, you know, somebody could take chamomile and spend a month learning about all the different benefits and gifts of chamomile as medicine, and then all the different preparations that you can use with chamomile from tea to oils to hair rinses. So there's just this like, there's always a rabbit hole that you can get into with herbalism. Um, but I like how we, you can take that herb-based approach and start simple, make a tea, get to know that tea, and then just keep going from there. There are, of course, like other preparations that have, you know, you need a lot more knowledge about like alcohol extracts to make a tincture. And it's really fun to get into all of that too. But as always, I'm saying, let's start simple, get to know a plant, get to know it as a tea, and then keep going from there. What I love about that is so often we are reaching outside of ourselves for answers or for quick fixes or whatever, but rarely do we just keep going deeper into one relationship. And that's kind of what I like about this because it's easy to, first of all, overspend, drive yourself crazy, waste money. Like when you're just trying to pile your Amazon cart with anything that says it's a de-stressor can help you sleep, you know, and you never know really the quality where it comes from. Your body's probably digesting it or or working with it in a different way if you just got it in, on a package in your door compared to preparing it yourself. And so I'm curious though, I've heard a lot about the differences between the way something affects your body if you're getting it in supplement form versus actually taking it from a plant or straight from the source. And And maybe that has something to do with what you just said about having chamomile in a tea bag versus five teaspoons letting it sit. Like, what are the ways that are the most beneficial to ingest something or to use something that you found versus just buying another supplement? Well, my first answer is definitely like, however the person's going to take it, right? Because something on the counter is not as effective as something in the body. So when I was in clinical practice, I would often work with people. I'd have like my preferences, but then I'd be open to like, but what's actually going to work for you? Some people, they're not into tea. They're not going to make tea. I'm not going to talk myself blue in the face trying to get them to take tea. So with herbal supplements, there's a couple of things. Like one, you can get the whole herb into a capsule. There, The pros of that is that you just swallow those capsules. So that's very easy. The cons of that are one, herbal medicine dosage is often much higher than what's on the bottle. So I'll, like a common example of that is I would have people come to me and they're taking ashwagandha and I say, how much ashwagandha are you taking? This is an herb that's often used to restore energy levels and help sleep cycles. And they say, oh, I'm taking two capsules a day, just like the bottle says. Well, in traditional herbalism, we use 10 to 15 grams of ashwagandha to get results. So that's like 20 to 30 capsules a day, which is one, not very fun to take, but two, can be super expensive if you're taking that amount. I mean, you'd go through, easily go through many bottles in a month and that can add up to hundreds of dollars. So that's something to just be aware of, you know, what is the dosage in like for that herbal practitioners use versus like what's the dosage that was just put on this bottle that's meant to like sell me a supplement. So that's thinking about whole herbs. Another thing that happens with supplements is that they do extracts. And so in that situation, they're saying, okay, we've identified these certain chemical constituents within a plant. We're going to extract them, standardize them, potentize them, and then say there's so much, you know, that particular extract in a plant or in the supplement, I mean. So a really great example of that is curcumin, which is an extract from turmeric. So turmeric, of course, one of the most popular herbs, really amazing for modulating inflammation. That's another plant we could spend an hour talking about all of the benefits. And what researchers have done is they said, okay, we've isolated these curcuminoids, these particular constituents within turmeric. We've isolated them and now we've put them into a supplement and that's what we're going to sell. We're going to call, you know, we're going to say that this is the beneficial part of turmeric and then we're going to sell that. Well, this has backfired so many times uh, in that the whole plant is really what's beneficial. The whole plant is so amazing in terms of all of these different avenues of things that we can't even begin to understand. And that's what we found out with turmeric. So one thing that happened with curcumin is those first extracts came out and they found, oh, those actually aren't bioavailable. People aren't actually, like they're taking these supplements, but their body isn't accepting them and assimilating them. Like it's just going right through their body. 
And so then they found out that if they added piperine, which is an extract of black pepper, then if they added piperine to it, then that would help with the bioavailability. What's interesting is now you'll often see people say, like, you have to take black pepper with turmeric. The reality is whole root turmeric is actually bioavailable for humans. It's a whole product. It's the curcumin extracts that aren't. And so they had to kind of go in there and, you know, basically un- redo what they broke from the whole ex- or from the whole root. So that, and that has happened so many times. They did that with St. John's Road. They said that this one particular constituent was beneficial, hypericin, and they sold a lot of supplements like that. Then they found out that hypericin supplements, especially when taken in larger dosages, causes photosensitivity. And it was causing people to get severe burns on their skin when they got sun. And then they found out, oh, well, it's not just hypericin. There's this other constituent in St. John's wort that's also beneficial. Then they found another one. And that's just kind of the case. So this like standardizing, I'm not uh, completely opposed to them. There are There is benefits to curcumin extract. I'm not going to deny that. Lots of great studies. But I do think that we need to take a step back and be like, okay, what, what's missing when we take that extract? The other thing with the extract is then it does become something that is... Again, I'm, I'm not totally refuting it, but it is something we grab off the shelf rather than something we have a relationship with. And that, at times, is what's necessary, just to grab something off the shelf. I'm not saying that's never necessary, but in this grander scheme of healing, I think that plant connection can be a really powerful part of the healing process that we just sidestep if we're only using extracts. It's interesting, too, because it kind of goes against the divine nature of nature itself where it's like you know you have this plant and we're just extracting one part of it and we think that's going to be like some miracle thing but all of nature is always working together so magically and and then we're always just trying to pinpoint the one thing and it comes back to what we said in the very beginning where it's like oh well I have this diagnosis and lately I've been doing a lot of research about how the CDC changes the definitions of of diseases and things like that. And so it's like, they'll expand or contract what it actually, like the symptoms or whatever. So sometimes one thing will be defined as the flu, but then all of a sudden they're like, well, now if you just have this, it's defined as this. And and I was reading mm-hmm. about the history of that and it's very interesting. And so it's like, we often think that just because we got a diagnosis with something that this is our one issue, but it's like, what was all leading up to that? What is your lifestyle? Like you could take this medication, but if you're still doing all the lifestyle things that add to that, and it just reminds me of how all of nature is always working together, just like all of our body is working together and one thing affects the other. And we trust that knowledge in cars. It's like, we know if we don't change our oil, we might get this whole different issue, you know, but for some reason we don't believe that that's really happening in our bodies. And so for the listeners out there that are like, okay, I'm interested in this. Uh, Maybe they're going to buy your book. What's a good like first step challenge to have them do for this week to just start to change, either change this relationship or get them a little bit more immersed in the empowerment of actually being able to develop that relationship with nature so that they can either forage or or find their own remedies or whatever. Where do you ask people to start? I often ask people to start with what's called a sit spot. This is a common naturalist practice. So the idea of the sit spot is that you go spend time outside sitting and just observing in a place. And it, this doesn't have to be like the top of a mountaintop that you spent five hours hiking to. This can be your backyard. This can be a city park. And again, the whole point is just to spend time sitting and observing. And that is always the first step is to sit and observe rather than like jump right in. And so much can happen in that sit spot of just like questions that might come into your head that spark curiosity, which then take you down a roll, uh, a road. It can be that simply like calm and peacefulness, which then, you know, leads to feelings of contentment and joy and might also then just encourage you to keep taking those steps further and further. So sit spot is definitely a way to go. And I always say, make it as easy as possible. Make it an easy yes. Five minutes outside on your lunch break. Just five minutes. That's all it takes. You don't need to go somewhere for an hour. Um, So that's a great place to start. I find like this happens so often is when people start being herb curious, plant curious, the plants will jump out and they'll say like, hey, hey, over here, over here. 
or people already know like, oh yeah, like I keep, I keep seeing this plant and wondering about it. Like that's already happening in their lives. They just hadn't given, given full notice to it. So pay attention to that. You know, what is out there? What's capturing your attention? What, what wants to be seen? And then just keep following that thread. So that's the, you know, nature connection part for sure. Just that wonder and excitement. I think it's by following our inspiration, by following our joy, that keeps us going. And it's just so much more fun than, you know, good health being like a punishment. <laughs> like That's just another theme that I see so often, you know, is that like, oh, in order to be healthy, you have to give up everything that you love. Yeah, that's not very successful with folks. But in the plant world, the herb world, we just get to call things in and say, check out this beautiful thing. Smell this wonderful scent. And whether and, you know, whether that is a wild plant growing out there or it's a plant that you've long been called to, like lavender or rosemary, you know, something that might be more domesticated, those are also powerfully healing herbs I turn to all the time for health. So um, any of those options, you know, it really is about following the inspiration, keeping it simple, choosing a plant and then keep going with it. That's so fun because I am a believer that, you know, what's in your awareness is what you need. And so to be able to sit out there and ask nature, what is coming to my awareness? What's calling to me? What is the first thing my attention goes to? It's going to be different for different people, but it's probably most likely the thing that you need the most in your life in one way or another. So thank you so much for all of your wisdom in this area. Like I said, I think I've found my new hobby. I've been like putting out feelers. I'm like, I need a new hobby. And this is calling to me so much right now. So expect I will be doing a nature walk soon. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book or how to work with you, where's the best place for them to connect? I do have a brand new podcast called Herbs with Rosalie, and there I focus on one plant every week, looking at how that plant heals as food, as medicine, and through nature connection. So that's available on all the podcast apps. And my website is herbswithrosalie.com, and there I have oodles of free information and of course, signing up on my newsletter is the best way to stay in touch. I send out weekly emails with my best tips and recipes and everything herbal-inspired. All the links mentioned in this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 193. So your challenge for this week is to find a sit spot. Just go sit in nature, whether that's a park, your own yard, deep into the forest. My husband and I have been going day camping a lot. If you want to see videos of that, follow me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. We're bringing the baby. We have a hammock set up. We bring his little boppy lounger. It's actually so much fun. And what's interesting to me is just how peaceful Brave is in the wilderness. He loves being outside. If he's fussy and I can't find a way to console him, I just take him outside on a walk or we'll sit by a tree and it just calms him down. And babies are like these little energetic beings. They're a clean slate. They're not bogged down by all the stories that we tell ourselves. So to watch the way he reacts in nature actually speaks to how I naturally react in nature without all the things that are telling me not to be there, like my to-do list or my messy house or whatever it is. So I'm gonna take this challenge this week a step further and I actually wanna start foraging. I live in nature right now, so I wanna make the most of it. But guess what I'm gonna start with? Something that most of you can also start with, and that's dandelions. They're everywhere. So I will say that I'm gonna be cautious about where I pick this dandelion because I don't want to pick it somewhere that's been sprayed by a ton of pesticides or whatever. But this is normally considered a weed, and so they grow really rapidly. Well, there are so many healing powers to dandelions. I mean, a quick Google search shows like 18 to 20 things that it can do, including uh, there's antioxidants, it helps fight inflammation, it helps blood sugar control, reduces cholesterol, lowers blood pressure, aids weight loss, promotes a healthy liver. It can even be used for healing cancer. So there are so many things. And a quick Google search will also show you how to forage for a dandelion, so how to prepare it. Unfortunately, the U.S. has zero preparation steps or <laughs> any ways to stay safe because the U.S. isn't really about promoting things that aren't based in capitalism. And I think dandelions are just too free for the U.S. But <laughs> thankfully, Europe and other countries do have things like this, so it's pretty easy to find. 
let me know how it goes. Show me a picture of the first thing that you foraged. Maybe take a photo and actually post it on your feed of Instagram to share with other people your connection with nature and maybe inspire people along the way. So like I said, let me know how it goes. Tag me at Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. If this episode was helpful for you, please share it in one of those ways. You can also just tap the little share button. It's the dot, dot, dot in the top right corner and share it to somebody via text message or to Facebook Messenger or however you communicate these days. Also, don't forget you get extra episodes if you join MindLove Premium. You can do that at mindlove.com slash premium or now right in Apple Podcasts.